I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Talented and gifted, or TAG, T-A-G, as it was known by its acronym, was a group of students sponsored by my elementary school. In order to be a member of TAG, you took a series of tests. If you pass those tests, you are admitted into this select group. They were a, they were a special group that would meet a couple times a week during school hours. They would go on their own trips, do special projects, and other neat things together. They were very much set apart from the rest of the students who are not in this group. You see, the way groups or clubs such as TAG works is that they make a separation or a distinction between persons. They separate those on the inside from those on the outside. If you do not possess something, do not believe something, or are unable to do something, chances are you will be excluded from those who do possess something, who do believe something, or are able to do something that you cannot. If you cannot catch that high pop fly, you cannot be on the baseball team. You cannot join the band if your trumpet playing sounds like a dying cow. If you do not have an MD, you cannot practice medicine. And if you could not answer a certain percentage or number of questions right, you could not be in TAG. Now, for the sake of full disclosure, one of those students who did not make it into this special group would later become the curate at the Chapel of the Cross. So in my mind, the joke is on them. A college professor of mine is a member of Mensa. This is the oldest and highest IQ society in the world. To be included in this exclusive group, you have to score in the 98th percentile on a standardized IQ test. He told us in class one day that he went to one Mensa meeting and then never went again. We asked him the reason why, and he replied, that group of people, they're annoying. They think they know everything. You see, our lives are made up of groups that we are either a part of or outside of. And these groups are the very core of our identity. As the saying goes, you are the company you keep. Now, there are good reasons for, for being in certain groups. Now, to use the previous examples, you wouldn't want just anyone performing surgery on you. You would want a doctor. And it might be dangerous to put someone in the outfield who cannot catch, plus the fact that you might lose the ball game. The exclusiveness of groups and clubs is nothing new to our day and age. We constantly see Jesus struggling with the Pharisees. This exclusive group or sect of Judaism, they had their beliefs, their customs, laws and practices that separated them from the rest of Jewish society. They were the Jewish elite, and everyone else was not. Their lives and identities were consumed with protecting their group, constantly persecuting and demonizing those who they deemed to be on the outside while reaping the rewards and benefits of being an insider. Like the Pharisees, 
Many groups are created and formed to serve their own interests. Christianity is a group, is it not? It can even be thought of, perhaps, as a club. You see, we have our own customs, beliefs, morals, rituals, laws, and other characteristics that separate us from others. And we have requirements for entrance. However, the difference is that we are not Christian to serve ourselves or to reap rewards or benefits for ourselves. Groups are formed so that those within them can reap some sort of benefit through membership. If you are outside the group, then you cannot benefit from it. We are not Christian for our own interests, but for the interests of others. That is what separates us from other groups. Though we are members of the body of Christ, we work to continually benefit those on the margins of society, those who may be shunned by other groups or clubs. Our epistle reading from James this morning tells us that we cannot be Christian and show favoritism. We cannot believe in Jesus and follow Him if we show favoritism in whom we serve. We are to be blind in who we serve. We are to serve the rich and the poor, the healthy and the sick, the lost and the found, the faithful and the faithless, the loud and the voiceless. This group called Christianity is to love our neighbor as ourself, as the founder of this group taught us. And who is our neighbor? Everyone with a beating heart. We are not Christian to separate ourselves from others, but we are Christian so that we may connect to others and bring them to know the love and knowledge of a compassionate God. Today, Jane Bryant will be baptized at the 11 o'clock service. We will bring her into the body of Christ. Jane will be included among us and will reap the benefits of being a member of the household of God. She will receive the Holy Spirit and be marked as Christ's own forever. However, Jane, like the rest of us, will also be expected to bring the love of Christ to those on the outside, to those who do not know the love of God or who perhaps have strayed from it. She is bound by the baptismal covenant to not only the people in this space, but to the whole world. This covenant, much of which came out of the civil rights struggle of the 60s, is more concerned about serving, serving others than ourselves. It asks us to do certain things. It puts others before ourselves. We are to seek and serve Christ in all persons. We are to strive for justice and peace, respecting the dignity of every human being. So not only is this whole Christianity thing for us, and we reap the benefits of a loving Jesus who died for us, but it is for the whole world that they may know Jesus through our words and through our actions. As the hymn says, Christ for the world we sing the world to Christ we bring. We bring all the world to Christ when we live into our baptismal covenant. The love of Christ is so deep, so broad, so high, 
and it knows no bounds. It is limitless in its mercy, and it is limitless in who it can reach. Love of God knows no groups or clubs. The Syrophoenician woman understood this very well. Many have speculated as to why Jesus reacted the way he did to her initially. Usually, we see a loving, compassionate Jesus, don't we? Here, it almost seems as if Jesus lets down his compassionate guard. I would love to be able to rewrite this story, to yell, cut, 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 like a movie director, and tell Jesus that's the wrong line. You were supposed to say, sure, I would love to heal your daughter, instead of responding to her harshly. We do not know why Jesus responded to her the way he did, but as the story moves along, so does Jesus' compassion for this woman who is on the margins of society. She is not only a woman speaking publicly with a man, but she is a Gentile speaking with a Jew, unheard of, breaking all customs and norms of that day. In the end, Jesus teaches us once again what it is to follow him, to include those that society does not. And what does he do? He heals her daughter. Presiding Bishop-elect Michael Curry often speaks about the Jesus movement. He speaks of how Jesus did not come to start a group or a club or even a church, but he came to start a movement. You, me, and very soon Jane Bryant, we are all a part of this movement because we have been baptized into it. Since we are a part of this movement, when we encounter those like the Syrophoenician woman in our society, we too are to respond with compassion because we too, like this woman, have experienced the compassion that our God has for us, which knows no limits, which knows no bounds. Amen. Amen.